Um, also, uh, in this uh, message, uh, we're going to do a whole new series on hope. And, uh, and I think it's a really critical series. I think it's important because I think, uh, as I watch, many people are losing hope on all kinds of different levels. And we're going to talk about that through this series. Uh, I, I almost feel compelled in this series. So if I start talking loudly, I'm not yelling at you. I right, just know that, but I'm feeling amped inside, so I'm going to try and throttle that a little bit, but just know that's there. And we want to uh, engage a discussion um, or encourage a discussion or encourage encouragement, however you want to put that. And one of the ways we're going to do that is um, uh, we, we've got a site that you can go to. And so this is hashtag Hope at Enview, and you can do that. And... Uh, I would explain it to you, but my vast knowledge of this area would overwhelm you. So I'm going to ask Zach to come up and help you, all right? Cool. Uh, yeah, uh, so here we go. So it's not actually a website. It's just, uh, you know, you go on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can go on any of those. And our hope is that, <laughs> that was a pun, uh, is that you would, you would uh, maybe share a scripture that God's been pointing out to you. Maybe you want to share a story uh, I know on Instagram you can even do short videos of just something that maybe God's doing in your life or maybe in someone else's life, uh, a scripture that stands out to you, anything like that. And if you put the hashtag hope at Enview, obviously it's, it's a great way to just, uh, it's like any of you who knows what a hashtag is, it's basically an online filing system. So if we just did hashtag hope, you're going to see a bunch of other stuff. But when we do hashtag hope at Enview, it's pretty much just going to be what we're doing here at our church. And you can get on there and you can see whether you're on Instagram, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're on um, Twitter, you can see what somebody put. And there's a really cool website that Brooks actually found this week, and it's called tagboard.com. That's correct, right, Brooks? Uh, Yes. And if you go on tagboard.com and you type in hashtag hope at Enview, you can see what somebody is hash when somebody is hashtag something about this, it combines like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it combines it all together. So you can see what everybody at our church is uh, tweeting about or anything like that. So our hope with that is not to be some really super cool relevant church that we hashtag now. Our hope is that you guys would see some different people that maybe have really trusted in God or maybe are going through their word and something stands out to them and you guys have an opportunity um, to be encouraged through that. So we'd love everybody uh, to do that. So I, I told Steve, I said, hey, let's have you tweet live in the service. All right, Hashtag hope at Enview. And then you guys can go on and find that. He's on Twitter, so you guys can do that. So we, we went over this extensively before. So It's pre-typed out. All we have to do is press send. So... I'm finding it. I'm finding it. So just tweet right there. Okay, is that the whole thing? Yep, just tweet. All right. Boom. You did it. Set. You did it. Check it out. <laughs> oh, what a world we live in. What happened to typewriters? All right, so here we go. Um, but uh, the idea there is to encourage hope in Jesus. So uh, take a look at that. The nice thing about Tagboard, what... Now, what Brooks was explaining to me is like there's pictures and stuff from the baptisms last week, and those are up on there and quotes off of that. So we hope it's an incredible encouragement to you. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll start this morning. Father, you are the God of hope. Um, <clears throat> we have hope because of you. And uh, 
we are deeply grateful for that. We recognize that this world works overtime to steal that away from us. And so there's a constant battle and ebb and flow in our hearts. Sometimes we are completely convinced and full of hope and full of faith. And other times we get really shaken and wonder. We go through terrible trials or terrible pain and um, we're looking for where you are and crying out to you. And um, There's just a, a, a lot of places that this uh, topic can cover. So as we do this, Lord, I'm, I'm asking for your help. And I'm asking for your spirit to engage a conversation with us on the level of where we are at in this topic. And may this morning uh, be helpful as we uh, begin just to get us thinking along these lines. And we ask for your favor in that for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Um, Another qualifier. So um, I was going to do uh, hashtag hope and I was going to start this morning with the fact that God is still reaching people in the world. I thought that'd be a great place to start. And as I started working on that, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this, but God completely flipped it and upended it and said, no, that's not the topic. You're going to do that next week. Here's this week, all right? So the bulletin and the scripture's wrong. Sorry. Um, just so you know, and it's not Margaret's fault. It's my fault. Well, actually, it's God's fault, I suppose. But we won't blame him on that. Um, but we're going to do a, a pre well, uh Prelude to that, I want to talk about uh, the issue of hope this morning. So let me, it's not advancing, guys. Can you advance it for me? There we go. All right. The issue of hope. In Hebrews 11, uh, you know these verses, but you can turn there or click on. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This idea here, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. In other words, hope is the target of which faith looks at. In other words, faith doesn't just exist by itself. You hear that a lot today. Well, I have faith. And if you ask them in what? Well, I have faith in faith. And the idea that faith in faith is enough to get you going through life or through the world or through the things that you're going to face. But faith is always in something or someone. It doesn't float out there as an auxiliary to itself. It exists in something. So, for example, this morning, you have faith that those chairs will hold you up. And so you've sat down in them, right? Uh, That's a simple one, but that can be extrapolated that we have a hope given to us by the Lord, and therefore we have full assurance of faith. Because of what the Lord has given us hope for. Therefore, the hope comes from and is in the Lord. And and Hebrews says this. So when we're talking about hope, um, if you look up in the dictionary, uh, just a classic uh, definition of it is the expectation of promise or good. Something I hope for. Right? So if you're single, I hope to get married. If uh, you're in a job, I hope to get a raise. If I'm on the sports team, I hope to start. Um, if you like football, I hope the Seahawks win today, okay? Many of you are wearing jerseys in hope that the Seahawks will win, right? That's, that's the idea. Now, if you take that to a Christian sense, now what it means in a Christian sense, hope in the Christian sense is a joyful or contented expectation of eternal salvation. In other words, you are confident in what God has promised you, in the hope that he's given you, that this is not all there is, 
This isn't just the end. You live your life and then you're done. You're one and only precious life and then it's over and there's nothing. God has said, no, there is an eternity and I have promised you this eternity and your hope then, in a Christian sense, is anchored in that promise that he's given you. Now, hope like anything, right? Um, you can look through different lenses. Now, there's uh, a sarcastic view of hope. Um, let me just read you a couple definitions. Uh, hope, deceitful as it is, you can tell about just how it's starting, right? Hope, deceitful as it is, serves at least to lead us to the end of our lives by an agreeable route. In other words, we're deceived, but it gets us there, so it's okay. That uh, was a quote from Francis the Sixth de la Roquefort. Okay, what a name like that. You could understand that definition. All right. Here's another one. See if you like this one. Hope is the only universal liar who never loses his reputation for veracity. You're going, what? Veracity? And what it means is this is even though hope's false, hope never fails because hope always says it has hope and therefore it's true, even if it doesn't do anything. That's a fairly cynical view there, in case you hadn't caught on to that. Uh, here's another one. In reality, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs a man's torments. Frederick Nietzsche. Consider the source. All right. In other words, there's this other side of hope's a lie. Hope's, hope's a joke. Hope is uh, a carrot dangling at the end of the stick that you can never catch, but it keeps you going through life even though you'll never get it. There is that, that side to it. There's a, a, a cynical, sarcastic side that is very dark for its hope. Now, in the optimistic view of hope, uh, you can quickly catch, catch the change in tone. Um, once you choose hope, anything's possible. Christopher Reeve. Remember him? Superman. Hope is faith holding out its hand in the dark, says George Isles. Faith, or hope is faith holding out its hand in the dark. This one, author's unknown. Hope is putting faith to work when doubting would be easier. Isn't that a good one? Hope is putting faith to work when doubting would be easier. Right? And then I like this last, uh, or this next one. Hope is much like cat in a, a cat in the dark. You only know it's there by the reflection of its eyes, which means there's light nearby. Terry Gomez. And then another one, Author again, unknown. Hope is grief's best music. Right? So there's this other side, when you look at it, of this overriding, unquenchable side of hope that regardless of my circumstances and regardless of what I'm facing, I still have hope and hope drives me, it fuels me, it energizes my faith, it enables my love, it gets me moving in the right directions and it doesn't get me just to sit there but it gets me to move forward because I believe God has a future for me. In that, I want to really be clear this morning. Um, we are not talking about some kind of new age source of hope here or hope in ourselves or hope in uh, other things. We are talking specifically about the hope that Jesus gives us in the midst of life. If you take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be there. So, Go ahead and turn there. Uh, turn on your phone, Colossians 1. Looking at verse 25 and 27, it says this. 
And this is Paul talking. I, this is Paul, have become its, this is the church, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me read that second part again. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why do we have hope of eternal life? Because God has put his Holy Spirit in us and we know that he has told us of this hope. That's the whole reason. I want you to be with me. I've come to die in your place. I've come and rose from the dead and conquered death so that you could spend eternity with me. That's your greatest hope. And Paul says it's a great mystery. Uh, In Corinthians, he says, To some we are the fragrance of life, and to others we're the fragrance of death. He says, Some when this message gets preached, it's like, yes, yes. And others like, I don't get it. I don't have hope there. But here's what Paul's saying. In Jesus, God has promised. Right? Go back to when he first found you. Go back to when you first knew him. Go back to that first time you knew the Holy Spirit was speaking in your heart. And if you haven't ever had that, today might be the day. But in Jesus, God has promised. He has promised hope. He has promised a future and a hope. It's on the sworn statement of his now revealed mystery that those who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in his death and resurrection will possess an incredible hope. That the Spirit of Jesus witnesses to us that no matter what our circumstances, what our trials, what our sufferings or disappointments in life are, and all you've got to do is get past 15 to start running into that stuff. Right? He will be with us and He will keep us. You might be in the midst of an incredible trial right now, today. You may be very bewildered and may look very dark and look like there's no way through. God has promised to never leave you or forsake you. That none of our testing or trials will be in vain if we keep our eyes on Him. There's an incredible future glory awaiting us that is so awesomely tremendous. And I strung about ten words together trying to capture how awesomely tremendous it was and then I called it down to awesomely tremendous. That Paul says that in comparison, the deepest human sufferings and tragedy is but a light and momentary affliction. That's a phenomenal hope. Because there's some awful things happening in our world. There's some terrible things that we have to go through. There's terrible things others are going through. And to say that that hope overrides it in such a way that the promise of the future of what God's got for us is so spectacular that what we go through in our worst trials is but a light momentary affliction. Now you can say, well, that is easy for Paul to write. Remember, this is a guy who was whipped five times, 39 lashes. So just add the math up. Imagine your back being scarred. And then imagining it getting ripped open again four other times from being whipped for the cause of Christ. Just that alone. If you want to read 
his journal. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about beaten. He talks about fighting wild beasts. There's someone who understood uh, going through and suffering for Christ. When we're talking about um, glory here, I thought it was worth stepping back for a second. Um, what are we talking about? When we're talking about this glory... Uh, the sun is the image of the invisible God. If you go in Colossians 1 again, 15 through 18, it says, For in him, oh, here, let me uh, get it up there for you. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. In other words, Paul's making a description here of Jesus. He's trying to tell us what kind of person he is or who we're dealing with. So when he's talking about glory, when he's talking about this hope that we have, he says, understand who this hope is anchored in. This is the person who your hope is anchored in. What's that description in? For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and in him. We're talking about going from the size of the universe to quarks. We're talking about the vastness of the universe on the macro level down to the micro level of the smallest particles that hold everything together. He created all of that. In other words, the existence we sit in right now this morning, he created. If he goes, yawns for a second, the chair you're sitting in goes, poof, and down on the floor you go, and down you go. He holds it all together. That's the Christian affirmation of the glory of God, of what we're talking about. We are not talking about a God. We are talking about the God. The signature fingerprint imprint, if you read the Old Testament prophets, is the God who created the heavens and the earth. Um, when you're looking at it, we're talking about Jesus created and designed them all. If you think about the kind of design that exists in the world we live in, it's unbelievable. Just read about uh, your body, for instance, in the human eye or the circulatory system or the pulmonary system or your brain, and that's enough to blow your mind, let alone talking about the universe or the, the, uh, the little mechanics inside the cell. They used to think the cell was really simple. Now they found out it's an absolute universe unto itself, right? It's a spectacular thing. It says not only did he design and create it, but like I said, he holds it all together by the power of his word. John says... In the Gospel of John, it's by the power of his word that he holds it all together. In other words, by his will. God holds the universe together by his will. He holds it um, by his spoken word. Uh, I mentioned this once before, but my friend John Burkhalter, who uh, runs the prison ministry up at Cascade, and we just did the banquet for him, and uh, fascinating deal because at the banquet he talked about a guy who was in prison um, for some horrific crimes. The guy came to Christ and uh, uh, he had lost everything, lost his family, lost his children, lost the whole thing. But they saw such a transformation in him that his family came back to him and at the banquet uh, his wife remarried the guy at the banquet. John did the ceremony for him. Talk about a transformation. 
That was a marvelous thing to be there. But John has a friend at the UW who's a PhD scientist, and he was talking one time, and he said, well, you know, we've got atoms, and we've got neutrons, and we've got this, and we go down, and we got, you know, all the way down to quarks. He says, how many levels are there? And the guy said, well, as near as we have it figured right now, there's about 17. And this is a few years ago, so there may be more now. Right? He said, but as near as we figured it, when John was talking to him, there's about 17. And John says, well, what's after that? He says, we don't know. He says, it's like something's holding it all together. Okay? Well, it's not a something. It's a someone. Someone is holding it all together. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about the incredible complexity of what God's designed in us just as people. Uh, when we talk about being fearfully and wonderfully made, um, I don't think we really understand the half of what that really means. But it gives incredible hope. Now, anchoring this in Jesus, there is an enormous necessity of holding on to this hope. It's one thing to be given hope. It's another thing to hang on to it. Because you have to hang on to it as you go through the ups and downs and the bumps and thumps of life. Um, what I always tell a young married couple is that, uh, you know, right now you're in love and you're getting married and you can't possibly imagine anything going wrong. But life has a way of throwing curveballs at us that are really brutal and things we didn't expect. And it's in the midst of those curveballs that we have to hang on to our hope. If you go just a few verses farther down in Colossians, verses 21 and 23, it says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Anybody relate to that? That's quite a setup right there. And you who were once alienated and hostile, in other words, separate from a relationship from God, you could add in here stubborn, mule-headed, resistant, uh, I hate describing myself like that. But Jesus and I got into a battle and I knew about him and I fought him for two and a half years later. Uh, finally figured out that I was fighting the wrong person. Right? I know all of you are much more compliant and wouldn't have that problem. But you once alienated hostile mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Boy, do we deserve that? That's an incredible hope right there. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The idea here is when God gives you something and he gives you hope and what he's going to do for you, don't shift from it. And uh, as a culture in America, we have shifted completely away from that. Matter of fact, we've said, God, you're not welcome. You're not welcome in our schools. You're not welcome in our institutions. You're not welcome in our law anymore. Um, we really don't want you. And God as a gentleman has let us have what we want and what we want is destroying us. But notice the connection. We've been reconciled. In other words, that means brought to peace. You were once at war with God, and now you're brought to peace. One of my favorite thoughts about God is that God has an incredible way of taking his worst enemies and making them his best friends. You know, it's just when you think about that and the type of person it takes to do that, and you think about your own sin and how you've resisted and lied and pushed the truth behind all your life and how he has been willing to reconcile that. It's an amazing thing. 
So now continue in the faith, stable in Cephas, and hold on to the hope of the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? Well, Jesus is the hope of the gospel. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who was raised from the dead. He's the one who promised to come back for us. He's the one our hope rests. He's the one in whom our hope is anchored. In other words, when you really think about it, what has God promised you? Himself. Right? When you think about all the other things that we have hope in, the biggest, the greatest hope is that uh, God has promised them himself. And what I want to say this morning um, will sound like pie in the sky maybe to some people, but I want to say this. Jesus is the greatest reward in the hope that exists in the universe. There is no greater hope than to be in a relationship with him. When he gives us his best, he gives us himself. Think about that. The God of the universe gives us himself. And here's one of the great truths of the Christian life. And listen to me, if you're a bit fogged up or messed up or resistant or uh, skeptical at this moment, hear this. Here's one of the great truths of the Christian life. Jesus is his own reward. If you're going after all these other things, you're going to be really disappointed. But if you go after Jesus and you're content with Jesus and you say, Jesus, if I get nothing else but I get you, bingo, I win. I've got what I need because you're all I need. I don't need all the other stuff. I just need you. And that means when we're going through crisis, Lord, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I just need you to walk with me. If I have you in it, I'm good. That gives incredible hope. Jesus is his own reward. And it's precisely here that I think we get into trouble. So let's, um, let's think for a second. What goes wrong? Um, there should be a lot more people in church than there are this morning, right? We should be running multiple services and services every night and people should be running after God. Is that what we see in our culture? No, not at all. Uh, you've probably been familiar with these couple sayings here. Uh, no Jesus, no peace. Right? No Jesus, no peace. You see it on bumper stickers. And then this one, uh, the person who has nothing but has Jesus, or the person who has everything but doesn't have Jesus has nothing. The person who has nothing but has Jesus has everything. Now we know those, right? Those are pithy sayings. Why does that go sideways? Why isn't that ring true? Why, Why do people fade? Right? Think through your Christian life. How many people once used to be Christian and are no longer on the trail with you. They're not there anymore. They've faded. They've drifted away from the hope. How can, how can that go so wrong? Uh, as a matter of fact, if I had to do a test this morning, let's do a hope meter test this morning. If I said to you on a scale from zero to ten, zero, you have no hope at all. Ten, you're absolutely full of hope. Where is your hope this morning? On, how would you rate it? Now, instantly, as soon as I ask that question, that's a complicated question, right? Because other things are attached to our hope. So, for example, my hope in Jesus is attached to my hope for my marriage. My hope in Jesus is attached to my hope for my kids. My hope for Jesus is attached to my hopes of my job or my future. Or There's a lot of other threads and currents that blend into that. But this morning, if I was to ask you from 0 to 10, where would you rate your hope? Where would you put it? 
Have you thought about it as a gas tank? Are you half full? Are you quarter full? Are you 90% full? Where are you? And I, I want you to be thinking about that uh, as we talk about because these catchy, pithy little things are clever ways of trying to encapsulate what Scripture says about the importance in placing our hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone. The other things can get troublesome and they can get in the way. Um, how can the promise be so enormous and so many things go so horribly wrong? Have you ever thought about that? I have. It happens uh, in my world consistently. I had uh, two divorces and uh, one suicide threat and uh, two potential deaths this week alone. Welcome to my world. Okay? The issue of hope is very real. How do you give hope to people when you walk into those circumstances? But I think it goes a little something like this. In a normal person's world, we start out with Jesus, right? And when you think about when you started out with Jesus, most of us had nothing, okay? Uh, and we had kind of messed up and we were kind of bankrupt, kind of broken, kind of blind, kind of barren, a whole lot. And so we didn't have much and we were thrilled we had Jesus and that was good enough. And we started to rock and roll with Jesus. And the great thing about Jesus, he's an awesome dude. And as you walk with him, as you obey him, what does he do? He blesses, right? And so along with the walk came some things. And, and they're probably good things. I know in my life they are. My wife, my kids, the home I live in, the cars I drive, almost all of the stuff we've got came from uh, Jesus giving us that stuff. I have great stories for all of them. Um, and, and our kids know those stories. We've passed those stories along. But here's what I think happens over a period of time. Over a period of time, we start to think, okay, I've got Jesus. And then as I come along, okay, I've got Jesus in these things. And pretty soon we start putting our confidence in the things instead of Jesus. There's a real subtle shift there. We put our trust in the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. And so then when we hit, and usually it's right around our 40s or 50s, right? We take that next step. All of a sudden, life gets difficult. Stuff happens. Relational stuff happens. Career stuff happens. Stuff that we buried back in our 20s and said, I'm never going to think about. All of a sudden, your 50s comes perking up to the top. Any of you notice that? Right? No? Okay. Only me? All right. I'm the only one 50 in here? All right. There we go. It starts boiling up to the top and you're like, oh no, I got rid of that years ago. And ah, and, um, and then it gets really, really hard. And, and then we get mad at God. Because we go, how could I walk through with you all these years and now this? This is your idea of rewarding me. This is your idea of blessing me. This is your idea of hope. Well, I don't think so. And you hear this in people's tones. When people are talking, um, you, you hear two phrases that I think um, are kind of what I'd call signature statements of the loss of hope. First of all, the statement, why did God allow this to happen to me? I find that absolutely hilarious, by the way, most of the time. Because as the person sitting across the desk, the Holy Spirit had warned them, told them not to do it, they rebelled, they deliberately did it anyways, and now they're in a terrible mess and an absolute catastrophe, and then they're sitting there going, why did God allow this to happen to me? Duh. Okay? I mean, it's absolutely crazy sitting on my side of the desk sometime going, 
I don't think God had a whole lot to do with it. Matter of fact, I think you told him no 20 years ago and you reaped everything that you sowed. Why are you blaming God? He let you have what you wanted. All right, there's that side. The other thing, the other statement is, why is God doing this to me? Um, God is seen as the angry parent who now is punishing me, who's now after me and he strung me along long enough so he could get me really hooked in and now he's going to get me, right? Like the ant on the sidewalk and the kid with the hammer. And God's out to squish me. Why is God doing this to me? And, and what happens in this is we have strayed from our hope in Jesus and put our hope in other things. And the Bible is very clear when we do that, what happens? We get disappointed. Right? Not that those things are wrong in and of themselves, because they're not. They're very good things. But when you put your hope in those things above your hope for Jesus, that is called idolatry. That's putting your faith in something else besides God. Something else besides your relationship with God. The second thing I think that happens with hope is we are just woefully, uh, I don't know what the right way to put it, but when it comes to this uh, topic here, we just don't get it. There's a real enemy, and we don't really think so. Um, We still have the cartoon version of the little angels on our shoulders. One's red with horns and a pitchfork, and one's a little angel with a harp. And, uh, and we don't really have a category for a real enemy. But Scripture warns us over and over, there is someone who's trying to steal our hope, who's trying to steal it away from us. In First Peter 5, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary of the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by, your, by the brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, there's someone uh, trying to attack. There's a real enemy, and like all enemies, he comes to steal, murder, and destroy. Those are his primary tactics. Those are his primary motives. That is his strategic assault on the church and on God's plan is to steal. What's What's he doing? Well, he wants to steal your love for Jesus. He wants to take that and supplant it with some other love. Just like in our marriages and we're married to our partner, Satan wants to come on and say, hey, there's a lot of other options out there. There's a lot of other loves that would be far more satisfying. There's a lot of other ways you could go. You've got options, right? No, you've got your husband and you've got your wife. Just like you've got Jesus. Oh, that's so limiting. Oh. uh. Satan loves to steal our first loves. He wants to murder your faith. He wants to kill it. He wants you to walk away from your faith and, and walk away from Jesus and find all kinds of excuses and faults with the church, with other people, with da-da-da-da-da, and he wants you to walk away and go, uh, you hear today that the, the signature statement is, I want nothing to do with the organized church. Right? Well, if you step that back a little bit, what is the organized church? The organized church is the bride of Christ. It's the lost people in the world Jesus has collected. The Lord you're really saying is, I want nothing to do with Jesus. And he wants to destroy your hope. He wants to say there is no hope. Jesus lied to you. Jesus never was really here. Jesus never really died on the cross for your sins. He never rose from the dead. You don't really need to have a relationship with him. He, he, He said he's coming back. Come on, Paul and them thought he was coming back in their lifetime. It's 2,000 years later. Get a clue. You've been hoodwinked. 
You've been taken. You've been had. It's all pie in the sky, up there, out there, somewhere. Oh, yeah, someday, uh, you know, it's not real. You ever heard those whispers? He's really good at it. He's really, really good at it. This, this statement here, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The picture there is you should pay attention if there's a roaring lion. They're fairly dangerous. Seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Um, I want to read something that's fairly startling, and it's actually horrific. Uh, but it's also an incredible illustration of hope this morning. Uh, a lot of times we have it bad, and I'm not belittling that in any way. But sometimes when you see those who have it worse and you see them having hope in the midst of the circumstance, it gives you incredible fortitude to go, if they can do that, I can suck it up and do it too. Right, uh, right now, I'm sure you're aware of the conflict in the, the Middle East, in particular Syria and Iraq with ISIS, if you've read anything about it. Um, it's horrific, but... This email came across uh, my desk for prayers. Um, uh, and in this, I think it's a Catholic expression, but they're talking about a friend from Ohio got a text message from her brother asking her to shower him and his parish in prayers. And he's part of a mission team that's over there right now. And uh, ISIS had just taken over the town the day that this came out. He says, and listen to this, they are systematically going house to house to all the Christians and asking the children to denounce Jesus. He said, so far, not one child has. I don't know how many we're talking about. I don't know the extent of it. But so far, not one child has. And so far, all of them consequently have been killed. But not the parents. They're killing the children, but not the parents. Why? Where does your hope go if you watch your children get slaughtered in front of you? They are trying to destroy hope on that level. Okay? Have you faced that kind of pressure? No. Right? But yet these parents have incredible faith and they are standing firm in the faith It says uh, further in the email that the UN has withdrawn and the missionaries are on their own. They're determined to stick it out for the sake of the families, even if that means their own death. Um, Her brother said he's very afraid, has no idea how to even begin ministering to these families who have seen their children martyred. And yet he said he knows God has called him for some reason to be his voice and hands in this place at this time. Even so, he's begging for prayers for his courage to live out his vocation in such dire circumstances and like the children, except martyrdom if he's called to do so. Um, she's asking everyone that I know to please pray for them. These are brave parents who have stilled such a fervent faith in their children that they would choose martyrdom instead of denouncing Jesus. They also were asking for prayers, uh, for hope and perseverance. Uh, she was able to talk to by him by phone. Um, she didn't say it, but uh, believed that it would be their last conversation. She said that his request was this, not to get out of there. His request was this, that he would know what to do and then have the courage and ability to do it. What did God want him to do and then have the courage and ability to do it? She told uh, the families are praying for him, they're not alone or forgotten. 
and says, please keep them in their prayers. That guy has got phenomenal hope. Those families have a phenomenal hope. Those children have experienced the hope of glory that we're talking about. All right? They are not denouncing their hope. Who's their hope in that case? Jesus. You denounce Jesus or you die. And they are not. I think that's going to be a great lesson for us somewhere down the future. That hope is rock solid. Bible says, don't be afraid of that, the ones who can kill the body, but be afraid of him who can take and kill the body and throw your soul into hell. Who's that? The living God. Anchor your hope in him for his rewards and his rewards only and stand the trial of faith that you're being asked of faith in the hope that he's given you with the promises that he's sent your way. Let's close with this. Romans 15, 13, one of my all-time favorite scriptures. May the God of hope, that's actually his name. He is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That word abound there is overflowing, right? We know that from John 3, like a a well of water overflowing uh, into our heart. I remember one time walking through a store and I was just kind of being me and I tend to be kind of an up person, so I don't know what I was doing, whistling or smiling or something. And a guy stopped me, really upset, And here's what he actually said. Who gave you the right to be so damn happy? Right? I was just caught. I remember just, wow, and I said, just blurt him out, Jesus. I I didn't have time to even anticipate an answer. I just was so caught by it. And and then his response was he snorted at me and walked away. (laughs) Right? I thought, well, good day to you too, sir. All right? Of all people, we should be the most hopeful people in the world. We should have the greatest assurance of hope. We should have the greatest expression of hope. And yet, many of us find it hard to hang on to hope. It's like sand through our hands. So we're going to look at hope uh, in this week. We're going to, weeks ahead, we're going to come to it. We've run a little bit long. We need to pray. Let's go. Father, as we've uh, talked about this, I hope this engages a conversation with you and my friends and what you've called us here at Northview. And we ask for your favor in that. We seek you against an enemy who tries to rob and steal our hope. Some may be hanging on to hope by a thread here this morning. May you make that thread a great rope. May you make it an incredible anchor. And we ask for this in your name. Amen.